0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. ...doing over the morning and the way your day got started, and yet... You made a choice to be here. You've made the right choice, the best choice. I know this is a habit for a lot of us to be here on Sunday morning, but each time we come is an opportunity for God to break into this foggy reality we live in and make his kingdom come crashing in and help us to realize that there is so much more going on around us than what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears. It's really important we get that, and Sundays are an awesome opportunity for that to happen in our lives. I've been doing something uncharacteristic. Instead of working through a series for a few weeks now, I've just been kind of going all over the place following the convictions of my heart, and that's because I'm not ready to launch the new series yet. I don't want to start it prematurely, and so I'm just giving you one-off messages until a few weeks from now I am ready to launch the series on the Gospel of John. And this morning, what's been on my heart, partly because of events in my own life, and partly just that I feel God is putting this heavy on me, is this idea of having a thankful heart. You're going to not have much to look at up here except just the words of Scripture. This may be the lamest slide deck I have ever put together, but that's okay because the power is in the content, the Word of God. I, I want to just start by asking you a quick question. How many of you consider yourselves generally to be a thankful person? All right. Great, great, great. <laughs> and if you didn't raise your hand, that's okay. Nobody's judging you. I, I think a lot of us struggle with gratitude. In the, in the back of our minds, we know it's important to be grateful, But sometimes you just look around and go, what would I be grateful for exactly? If gratitude is a response, what am I responding to? This? This? That? Him? Her? Uh Uh-uh. I can't imagine what I would pause and give thanks for because right now, if I look at my life, there isn't a lot to be thankful for. And I totally get that that might be the case for a lot of us. I want to look at a passage of scripture that is recorded. I'm so thankful this story, this encounter between Jesus and ten men was recorded for us. I did preach from this text about 18 years ago, so I want to apologize if it's a rerun for you. It's not the same sermon by any stretch, but you're hearing the same text again. And for those of you who have been with us a long time, don't roll your eyes. It'll be fresh. I want to look at Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Here's what the word of God says. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, To give praise to God, except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, I imagine that most of us, because we are well raised, have developed the the basic courtesy of saying thank you. When someone holds a door for you or gives you a gift, we know enough to say thank you, right? Would you agree with that? I know very few people who can't at least pull that off. But that's a little different than a thankful heart. I think it's possible to go through the motions of expressing gratitude and yet in our hearts not actually have a posture that is thankful. In fact, in English, we have a phrase, Thanks for nothing, which I think is hilarious. If you really pause and think, thanks for nothing. It's the epitome of saying thank you without a thankful heart. And I wonder if sometimes that is the spirit with which we express gratitude. You know, um, this past Thanksgiving, I preached a message about gratitude. And in it, we looked at how even secular researchers are finding there are real-life benefits to expressing gratitude. People who are more grateful or at least express gratitude on a regular basis experience emotional, physical, spiritual, relational, social, even economic and professional benefits from being grateful. So on any given day of the week, gratitude is better than ingratitude, right? Would you agree with that? Gratitude is a beautiful thing. And maybe some of us have a relationship where we've given and poured out And it's been a long time since we ever heard that person express any gratitude to us. I don't want to have you raise your hand if this is the case, but I can think of relationships in my life where I have poured out and I'm waiting to hear. And and this is tough because you don't give just to hear those things, but when you don't ever hear it, when the person secretly says, I am thankful, I'm just never going to tell you, but I am thankful, it starts to put a wedge in the relationship, doesn't it? When you sense that as you pour out, a person has not yet expressed gratitude for all that they've received, it puts a wedge between you and that person. And I don't think it's any different between us and God. The the expression of real gratitude forms connection between people. And when I talk about a thankful heart, I'm not simply talking about the courtesy of expressing thanks but about a heart that acknowledges truly God is the giver of so much to us. Because I believe that in our relationship with God, the expression of true thanks is one of the primary ways that our hearts get bound and rooted to the heart of God. The story that we just read this morning, it's not a fictional story, it's a historical encounter between Jesus and ten men with leprosy And it's a familiar story to most of us if we've grown up in the church. Uh, The story basically is about 10 men with a devastating disease who live as outcasts from society and in desperation to hear about a man named Jesus from Nazareth who is a great healer. And they're desperate, so they run in faith and they say, Will you heal us? And he does just that. Now, to fully appreciate the story, you got to know a little bit about leprosy. I studied microbiology in college, and it was early on when I took my uh, microbial pathogenesis course that I learned that leprosy was, in fact, the first disease that they discovered was caused by a bacterium. It has been around as long as there is recorded history. Okay, as long as there's re- people have described the disease of leprosy since the very beginning of humanity. And even before they understood the science behind leprosy, they could observe with their eyes that this was one of the worst things that could happen to a person. Now, leprosy affects people in two major ways. <clears throat> the first way, and if you think about this, the reason that leprosy is often such a parallel for spiritual lostness and death is that the way it affects the body is so similar to the way sin and lostness affect the spirit. The first thing that leprosy does to a human body is it begins to kill the nerve endings near the surface of the skin so that you begin to grow numb and in the growing numbness at first you might think that's great because you can't feel pain anymore but pain is your friend pain reminds you that something is wrong and you got to attend to it and when you can't feel pain anymore a leper will lean their hand against the hot stove and just talk to you and go what's that smell and you're like, bro, that's your hand. It's burning. And, and they'll pull it away. And many times a person with leprosy, because of the numbness, their loss of the ability to feel anything, they don't attend to the real wounds that are killing them. I know people spiritually are in that place. They protected themselves by growing numb, or, or maybe it's not even self-protection. Their spiritual lostness and brokenness makes them numb, and they can't feel anything. But some of the things that they can't feel, they should feel because if they felt it, they would do something about it. And in the numbness, they don't attend to the urgencies of their physical condition, and a wound that could easily be healed is allowed to fester and grow in its infection. So that's what, and eventually that numbness becomes total loss of feeling and sometimes paralysis. So numbness is one way leprosy affects you. The second way that leprosy affects you is it begins to erode your tissues so that there's decay and rot and all kinds of horrible things form on the skin. And then little by little, those tissues start to die so that over time, entire body parts just rot and fall off. People who work in leper colonies have described occasions where they're just talking to someone and their nose just falls right off their face and leaves a gaping hole. In order to do a little research, I googled pictures of leprosy and I instantly regretted it. It is not a disease that you want to look at. and Because it is so devastating, because it creates such disfigurement, it is such a visible expression of the frailty and death of the human body. People could not bear it. And in in addition to the fact that it was dangerously contagious... People couldn't bear to look at the horrific condition of those with leprosy. And so human societies, for as long as there has been history, have taken lepers and kicked them out of society. It wasn't safe to let them live among healthy people. So partly partly, the great pain of leprosy is not just the unfairness of it all and the the devastation to your human body, but the fact that as you go through this suffering, you're doing it alone. You've been kicked out of intimacy and community with everybody else. For the Jews, part of the law was they couldn't get within 150 feet of other people. They were often required to hold a bell, and if they were approaching quote-unquote, normal people, they had to ring the bell as a signal, you are approaching a leper, look away, stay far from me, so that they could not allow themselves to get near anybody. They were ceremonially unclean so that no one could even minister to them. They were forbidden from worshiping with everybody else. And because of all of this and being cut off, they were basically jobless, forced to beg, And many of them ended up finding the only community possible was the cold comfort of an outcast community on the fringes of town living with other people who had the same disease. There are just so many spiritual parallels to leprosy in our world today. This being cut off was perhaps the thing that once you got used to the physical part of the disease, was the hardest part to live with. So you can imagine then that if this was a disease that happened to you, if there were any way to be healed, you would be desperate for it. You would be desperate for a cure. If people told you, you have to go find a tiger and kick it in the head, you might actually think, I'm going to risk that. If you would get rid of leprosy because it was so bad that you would do just about anything to be healed and delivered from this disease. So they hear about this man from Nazareth who, wherever he goes, people get better. And they think, I got to go check this out. What if this guy's the real deal? What if it's not fake? He actually can heal people. And so they run to him and they risk... The shushing, the further rejection of everyone around. Nobody wants, as Jesus, the celebrated speaker and healer, is coming to their town. Nobody wants the first people from their town to be a a little group of lepers. That's not what you want to show as your first face. So they go, get out of here. You're embarrassing the whole town. They didn't care. They shouted from a distance. Jesus, look at us. Pay attention to us. We're part of who you've come to see. And he sees them. And he beckons them, and then he says these things to them. Here's the the remarkable part. I'm expecting something remarkable to happen. Like he goes, "Um, squat down six times, turn around three circles, and then look at your hands. He doesn't do any of that. They approach him. He goes, all right, go to the priest's. Tell them you're all better. And they're looking and go, I don't understand what you're saying. Why is he telling him to go to the priest's? Because the Jewish law allowed for two things. The first time you got leprosy, a priest, you'd have to go visit the priest, and the priest would look at you and go, yeah, you got leprosy, booms, red stamp on your record, you are kicked out of everything. Your license to be a human being is revoked. That first visit was the doomsday verdict. It meant you have the worst possible fate while you're alive. But you're allowed a second visit if you suspect that by some miracle you were healed of the disease. The second visit to the priest was so that they could verify you were healed. And they would stamp it with a green stamp and say, you are readmitted into human society. You're allowed to rejoin all of us. And what Jesus was doing was saying, I promise you this, that as you're walking to the priests for that second visit, The healing will come, so that by the time you arrive, you will find that you're ready to be verified as delivered and healed. Now, that strikes me as interesting, because so often, God calls us to exercise faith in order to receive a blessing he wants to give. There are times when, without even asking for it, blessing just comes. I think that happens to us every day, whether we acknowledge it or not. I mean, I woke up this morning... And I'm still breathing. All of this is still working. doesn't look like I remember 20 years ago, but it still functions. I still had a roof over my head. My car started the first time I pushed the button. That's a weird sentence, isn't it? Old people, like, push the button to start your car. But you know what? It, it, everything worked. Every day... There are blessings we don't ask for that are just dropped in our lap. But there are times when God says, I don't want you to get so used to this idea that you wake up and the universe just works for you. I want you to remember from time to time that those blessings come from me. And in order to make that connection, he calls us to exercise faith so that we don't just think life is fate and good things sometimes happen, but that God is the one to whom we turn and he is the giver, Of all good gifts, so these men, whether in desperation or real faith, think, "All right, how could it hurt?" (laughs) We've been disappointed before, and so they turn around and start walking to the priests. And imagine what's happening because as they're walking, one guy goes, "Hey, Jim, you got a nose again." Another guy's looking at his hands, and his fingers are regenerating as he walks. His skin is smooth again. The smell is gone. And as they're walking, they're watching each other. I think it's so important there were 10 of them because you can't see yourself getting healed, but you can see others. And they're looking at each other and they're going, something is happening here and a miracle is happening. Imagine the rejoicing of 10 men who are at the very bottom of human life. Just nothing. And the miracle of watching one another be restored So there was rejoicing for sure. And if you stopped any of those men and held the microphone, Sir, are you happy? Are you thankful for what's happening? They would all have said, we are so thankful. And I think what they would have meant by that word thankful is, I am so happy about my good fortune. See, I think the general secular universal understanding of thankful is I am so happy over this good fortune. And what I'm realizing is that's something, but it's not the kind of thankful described to us in Scripture. Yesterday, my dog, my dog loves me, even though I don't always treat her with such niceness. She's so loyal, strangely, to me. I guess that's why people like dogs, because dogs are just so much more forgiving than people. And so every night when I'm working, my dog seeks me out, and she sits at the foot of my, my, my desk, and she just stares at me. Last night, I had popped some popcorn, so I was just trying to train her how to wait, you know, like you said, wait, wait, get it. Dumb as a box of rocks. She, she just wasn't learning. But it's funny with the dog. I hold a piece of popcorn out, and right away, she's like, and her tail is just, you, you, dog has no poker face. When it's happy, it's a, oh, I'm so happy. And when you give it the popcorn, she eats it, That tail is like vibrating. It's out of control. And I think even a mammal, as stupid as my dog Lulu, I mean, there are smart dogs in them. She is probably on the low end of stupid dogs. I love her. She's cute. Her dumbness makes her even cuter, I think. But even she has the capacity to rejoice over good fortune. It's almost a physiological, biological, evolutionary response to happiness or good things is, I feel good about this. This is awesome. Even my dumb dog knows that it rejoices over good fortune. And there is a measure of gratitude in that. But God made us better than Lulu. Our hearts have a deeper capacity than simply rejoicing over good fortune. Imagine the rejoicing that happened among those ten men. And yet in the midst of it, one of them turns around and sprints back to where Jesus was meeting with the crowds. Uh, I think that whole episode begs this one question. Why did Jesus heal these men at all? Why did he heal them at all? Obviously, one answer is because he cares about people. And there's no disputing this. When you read the Gospels, you cannot argue the other way. Jesus very clearly cares about whether people are okay or not. He is deeply grieved by human pain. He is concerned about the smallest level of human well-being. In the midst of an all-day revival breaking out, people are coming to him. Their lives are changing. In the midst of all that, he goes, I think the people are hungry. And the disciples are like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Can't you see how hungry they are? He cares about their growling stomachs, even in the midst of life-changing preaching. I don't think we can misunderstand or mischaracterize Jesus as he doesn't care about us. He cares a great deal. So some re- one of the reasons that he heals these men is because he sees how bad their lives are and it breaks his heart and he wants it to be better. And we need to remember that's the heart of Jesus for us. He does care about our well-being, but that's not the end of it. It's not the only reason that Jesus healed these men. The real purpose of the healings of Jesus, the deepest reason he performed his miracles, isn't just to raise the level of well-being among human beings. It was primarily to validate his claims that he is, in fact, the son of God. I know that sounds a little self-centered, but it's okay for God to be self-centered. Here's why he performed these healings. It was to say to these people, I know you're going to be really happy that you're better now, but I'm doing this for more than that. I'm doing this so you know that everything I'm saying is true and that I am who I say I am because you're going to need more than healing from this disease. Life is more than the next good episode. There is an eternal story arc to all of our lives and I'm here to address everything. I am who I say I am, but I know the hardness of the human heart, so I will make it easier for you to believe what I am. Listen, I'm up here every Sunday preaching to you guys, right? And you're like, I hope he's telling the truth. I don't know. And some of you have serious doubts about this whole Christianity thing. Imagine if I were able to say, um, guys, God has sent me. And just to prove it, I'm going to make a dragon just appear and stand right next to me the whole sermon. And I did this, and a dragon just sat there the whole sermon, you'd be like, we got to listen to everything this dude says. This is not a joke. If I did something like that, wouldn't you start to give more credibility to everything else I was saying? And one of the reasons Jesus performs miracles isn't just about making people's lives better. We've got to get past that. It is a big part of it, but it's not the end of the story. We cannot pigeonhole Jesus into having a crusade, a ministry of human life improvement only, because his real agenda is so people would know that God has a better and eternal plan for them and that the only gateway to that life is him. If you don't know he is who he says he is, you'll never get into that kingdom. And so he paves the way by these signs and wonders so that people's doubts could be erased or at least lowered so that they could see in him he is who he claims to be. It didn't accomplish all of that, but it helped a great deal. Many people turned because they said, who but God could have done these things? So this man throws himself at the feet of Jesus And he thanks him. There's some irony in that because of all the ten men who were healed, think about this, that rejoicing would have been kind of short-lived because they're like, yes, no more leprosy. And they would have gone to the priest. They would have been certified as healed. They would have returned to society. And the minute they walked back into town, the joy over being healed would have been dampened as they realized, oh, shoot, but I'm still homeless. I'm still jobless. My wife has moved on. My children don't know who I am. I'm starting from scratch. I went from negative 100 to zero. Now, negative 100 to zero is something to rejoice over, but then you go back to life and you're like, shoot, I'm zero. See, that's the thing about deliverance and blessing. If your eyes are only on the deliverance and the blessing, each one is just another rung on a ladder to realize there's still more I need, more I want, more I I should have. That happened, I think, to these men. The joy of being healed from leprosy and re-entering society was almost immediately replaced by the realization that I'm still in a wretched situation. I just don't have a disease anymore. The irony, then, is that the man who went from minus 100, he didn't go to zero because he was a Samaritan. The healthiest Samaritan was still a second-class citizen. The kind of guy who had to drink from different water fountains. That kind of second-class. Prejudice everywhere. Structural injustice everywhere. He didn't have any advantage and when he was healed, he went from minus 100 to like minus 20. Here's a guy who couldn't even rejoice over healing from leprosy because his starting point now was still pretty far behind the starting line. And yet of all the people, why does, why does the narrative take care? Why does Luke take care to remind us? And lo and behold, the one dude who returned to give thanks was a Samaritan. I think he's going out of his way to make the case. We think gratitude is always about our situation. And our gratitude should be proportional to whatever we received. But I think the point of the story is to say, it doesn't matter what your situation is. Gratitude is possible for anyone, anywhere. Jesus asked the question that's probably on everybody's mind as they hear this story. Hey, didn't all ten guys get healed? Where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? What a good question. Where are the other nine? I think the other nine are doing a very human thing. They're having a party rejoicing over their good fortune. The gift they received that day was freedom from leprosy. But that was the ending of their gift that day. It's a substantial gift. Don't make any mistake about it. I described leprosy to you, and if you were freed from that, you would be happy for a while. But nine of those men got a healing, and that's all they got. What was the difference between the other nine and the one that turned around? See, I think that's the essence of what a thankful heart is. All ten were happy over what happened. But one turned around. Why? What was the difference with this man? And I think what happened for him, and I'm not just guessing here, I think the text bears this out, was that as he was walking to the priest and seeing the healing and seeing the joy, he was feeling all of that. He said, wait a second. This is all happening because that guy, some guy from the carpenters' union up in Galilee, told us to present ourselves... To the priest. I, I think it's awesome that right across the alley in our ministry center and the other building across the way is the Carpenters Union headquarters for our area. Every day I'm looking like, that's where Jesus would have gone to work, man. I'm not sure if he would have known which building to walk into ours or theirs because, anyway, you get the idea. Carpenter, right? And because this carpenter told them, go and present yourselves, and he said, who is this guy? And I think that would have been something just ringing in his head is, What kind of man cures ten men of leprosy with a word? Who is this? Who is this man? And as he was mulling that over, he realized who but God could have done such a thing. He spoke about being the son of God. No one really believed it. But who else but God could do such a thing for me? And that was the real gift for him that day, was not just that he was delivered from a disease, but it was also this realization, life is not random. The universe isn't just some cold, unfair roll of the dice. God is not absent. He lives. He knows my name. He loves me. He is real. He intervenes in the lives of human beings. Life isn't just some giant fatalistic thing, but God exists. That was the gift for him. As he realized this thing that just happened to all of us that we're all celebrating would be impossible unless God were real and he just touched my life. And if that were the thing that just happened, the leprosy being healed was a celebration that could wait. He did not want to miss the chance to run back and reconnect to the man who was God. It blows me away. And he sprints back on newly formed feet. And he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And he doesn't just give thanks, but he gives praise to Jesus as God. And listen to the declaration of Jesus for this man. He says, because you had faith, that faith has made you well. Now, you've got you to gotta pay attention to the words because all 10 men were made well medically. That's not what he's talking about anymore. What's remarkable about Jesus is that he didn't revoke the healing of the other nine. He wasn't like, I'll show you the cost of ingratitude, leprosy, right back. They would have been like, oh. should have followed Joe back to that place. Oh, they're still healed. They're still rejoining society. But this man was made well inside as well as outside. Because the desperate plea of the human heart is not just get rid of this trouble, but am I really alone? Think about if you had leprosy to no fault of your own, the high cost, the lifetime of suffering. And for what? What did I do? Before all this happened, I was every day at the temple. I helped poor people. I was faithful to my wife and children. Why do I get this? Do you know how many jerks I know back in my village who should have gotten leprosy and the whole village would have rejoiced? They'd be like, yeah! He got leprosy. Serves him right. Why me? Think about the existential struggle of anybody with leprosy. Why me? It's such a random thing. It doesn't seem fair at all. Is there a God, and if he is out there, does he care about us at all? The great gift for this man was not just that a disease was lifted from him, but that God answered that question in a way that would mark his life forever. See, we don't just need to be delivered from our troubles, because every time we are, a new trouble will come the next day. Isn't that how life works? Is it just me or are your lives like that too? You get past one hurdle and you're like, oh, that's it, no more troubles till I die. Give me a break. Life is trouble. Life is trouble. Everything we do leads to another problem. I know that's a little depressing, but get over it. You can still get through it. But you just got to accept that's what life is. It's one long string of challenges But the real cry is not, can you get me through it? But are you even out there? Is any of this meaningful? Is there any purpose or sense or meaning at all to it? And the answer is yes. And while God may allow you to bear a greater share of suffering than someone else, in the end, if you turn to God in his presence, in front of him, he will help you see the meaning of it. Let me just land the plane this way. Our gratitude is often linked to our circumstances. We generally live in neutral, and then when something good happens, we remember to be thankful. That's just normal human life. But if that's the only time that we express gratitude to God, then gratitude will always be short-lived and temporary. Because like I said, every blessing will very quickly give way to yet another need, another hunger. If we only see God's love through the things he gives us or doesn't give us, if that's how we determine whether God is good or God loves me, is whether he has given me what I need or has denied it to me then our view of God will become very distorted. And I, I can tell you this, as your life winds down, you will find at the end of the journey, you become disappointed, cynical, very bitter. If the goodness of God is primarily determined by the ups and downs of our lives, we will never really understand and know God. If we pay attention to the words of Jesus, he said some profound things that are so easy to miss. Religious men, teachers of the law, asked him once, what is it that God really wants from us, huh? And what God said through Jesus is this. He wants you to love him with everything you've got. And he wants you to love each other with that same kind of love. There was a time when Jesus was teaching and a bunch of kids came into the room or into the circle and made a lot of noise and were very distracting. Anyone who's ever been in a family community group at our church knows. The worst possible moment, a child will run into the room, and you're like, oh, the moment just passed. And all the other adults were like, get those kids out of here. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Let them stay. They are the picture of what I want you to grow up to be. Here's the thing. When we were children, I remember this very well. I remember when I was a child, and I remember it when my kids were little children. Oh boy, do I remember that. Children only want one thing from their parents. They want their attention and affection. And if you give it to them, that's all they care about. Remember when your kids would just sit in your lap while you held them and they wouldn't squirm or wriggle? They just wanted so badly to be held. And if you loved them, that's all they needed. And that's the heart of a child. I think that's the heart that God is saying to us. He treasures in us. And then we start to grow up. And our feelings about our parents start to change, don't they? And we go from this child like, all I want is your love over me to all I want is your love over me and permission to go to the co-ed sleepover And a car when I turned 16 and an awesome allowance with no responsibility and permission to play this and do that whenever I want with no hassle. Stop telling me stuff. And and little by little, we learn to hate our parents because we frame how we feel about them and how they feel about us entirely around what they give and what they don't, what they permit and what they forbid. It poisons the well of that relationship because something changes. We move, we grow up from a childlike affection to a very conditional, well, we'll see if you love me. And what Jesus invites us to is to return. One of the signs of maturity is not that we grow out of childhood, but that we return to it. We get back to a place where we stop saying, God, you didn't do this, so you're not good. You didn't give this, so you don't love me. But what we just say, God, why would you know my name? Why would you listen when I speak? Why would you care about what happens to my life? Why should I even know who you are? When so many in this world have no clue. And I think one of the great signs of spiritual maturity is that we move from God you're good only if to God you are just good and the only thing I want right now even if this affliction is never lifted is to go back to that safe place I once knew just sitting with you thankful not because of X, Y, or Z but thankful because of you imagine the healing that would take place between parents and their children if love stopped being based on what we said and did or did not say and did not do. and was just that childlike love and affection again. And imagine the difference that would be made in our relationship with God if gratitude didn't flow out of what he did for me lately. The fact that he made himself known to me. I don't live in a world that is cold and random and fatalistic, that has no meaning, that is just unfair. I live in a world where God exists and he knows my name and he sees my face. I just remind you that the other nine stayed healed. God's love for us isn't based on our response to him. He loves because he is love. And when he is merciful, when he blesses, he does it of his own accord. I'm so thankful he didn't reverse the healing of the other nine. But only the one who came back got the real gift that day. All ten men were healed and all ten men will die. Again, they will. Healed or not, they will die. But one man got an unimaginable gift. He got God through Christ in the process. Why would we ever settle for momentary relief when what he offers us is the gift of himself? So I want to invite you just to pause. Let's think about it a little bit together. Be reflective. As I started by asking how many of us feel that we are generally thankful people and I will grant you that some of us have fewer things to be thankful for if we look at our lives first the place where you find a thankful heart is not by looking at your life but by looking at the cross of Jesus and realizing on the worst day of your life this is his heart for us You're not invisible. You're not nameless. You're not just a cork bobbing on the random waters of fate. He knows you. If you're ready to hear that, let it settle into your heart. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me. Praise team will start to come up and... uh, I just want to ask you to respond to God in your own words. Maybe you are very thankful for the circumstances of your life. But I believe the heart of Jesus for you this morning is not that. It is to find a place of thankfulness for Jesus himself. That you should know his name and that he knows yours. What a gift. Let's pray. You know, from time to time, if you have children, you'll be delighted when, in response to a gift you've given them, they express such overflowing thanks. They say, thanks, Mom and Dad. I love you. And that does delight our hearts. But you know what I really treasure more? On Father's Day, on Mother's Day, the kids take time to make and fill out a card for us and in those cards, the words they express are not, thank you for this or thank you for that. But it's like they really see your heart for them. I treasure that day of the year when what I'm reading in that card is not a response to a thing I gave or a thing I did, but just that I, they know how I feel for them. It's not invisible. It's not lost. I love that kind of expression. Mom, Dad, I just, I'm so thankful you're my parents. I see how much you care about us. I know what you've given and what you've done and what you've sacrificed. Those things draw my heart towards them so strongly. I believe that's the way God wants our hearts to be for him. So God, we pray this morning That yes, we are thankful for every good gift you've given. But we also want to say to you, we see you. We know what you've endured patiently waiting for us to grow. We know the offense we've caused your heart time and time again. We know that you do really love us. Even when we've doubted or questioned or run, we know it. This morning, what we want to say to you is we see you. And we're thankful for you. There's still a lot we need. There's still a lot that's too much to carry. But this morning, we just pause to say we are thankful that we're not bearing this alone. We see you, Jesus. We know you see us. And we thank you just for you. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org Thanks for listening.